Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. It's good. To, it's always good to preach God's Word. Last week, obviously, was Father's Day, and I preached on biblical manhood. Well, today, obviously, isn't Mother's Day, but we're going to preach, or I'm going to preach on biblical womanhood. We're continuing our series on what does it mean to be created in the image of God. Created in the image of God as men, created in the image of God as women, and next week we'll be talking about children and our ministry to children. But we must see biblical manhood and biblical womanhood as designs, first and foremost, from God. This is God's design. I feel like I'm so far away. I'm going to move this forward. Maybe I should just get down there. All right. We must see them as, as designs from God, first and foremost, but also see them as designs that are for our good. For not only our good, but for the good of society and for the good of the church. So today we're going to look at several scriptures, several texts, but I want to share something as we, before we even get to those texts, we're going to begin in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, so you can uh, be prepared there. But I want you to know that as I approach these topics of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, I do so as a complementarian. That might be a term that's new to you, might not have heard that term before. Complementarians are not those who are eager, eager to shower compliments on others, um, but rather complementarians believe God has created both men and women equal in value, but have different and complementary roles in the home and in the church. This perspective that theologians talk about affirms the biblical truth that men and women work together in complementary roles to accomplish God's good design in society. The illustration I used last week is if, uh, puzzle pieces that are interlocking that form a bigger and beautiful picture. Last week I spoke about the role of men in the home and the church. Men are called to, does anybody remember? This first one's important. Listen. Men are called to listen, they are called to lead, and they are called to love. Specifically, men are to lead in the ways they reflect the authority given to them. God has given man authority that must not be abused or misused. Men are called to lead in humble, sacrificial ways that show their love for others. Men have been given specific roles in the church and in the home. They are to be teachers, they are to be protectors, they are to be providers. They are to be elders and examples of God's faithfulness as they carry out their calling in line with Scripture. Well, today we're to study the beauty, and I say that very seriously, the beauty of biblical womanhood. Womanhood as designed by God is for our good, and it shows God's glory. So biblical womanhood... The reason why I keep giving that qualifier biblical is because the society tries to define what womanhood is, but we must see what womanhood is according to what the Bible says. So I talk about biblical womanhood because we must show that women are to have aspirations, hopes, and dreams, but those dreams must be based on God's design, not voices from a corrupt culture. Listen to what Betty Friedan has said. I've quoted her before. She's one of the founders of the feminism movement. She says this about the liberation of women. She writes, women who adjust, who adjust as housewives, 
who grow up wanting to be just a housewife are in as much danger as the millions who walk to their own death in the concentration camps. They are suffering a slow death of mind and spirit. She wrote many more provocative things, but this seductive statement can be misleading. She thought housewives were not only dangerous, but they were demeaning. She wrote many more things, again, that were not good and that sought to redefine womanhood. But again, we must turn to what the Bible says about what biblical womanhood is. It is from God and it is for our good. We must find our identity, men and women, in God. We must find our identity and worth from God himself who made women unique, equal with man, but with distinct roles. Listen to what the infamous Roseanne Barr has to say. Roseanne Barr says this. She says, The thing women have yet to learn is nobody gives you power, you just take it. Of course, this is out of context, but the context doesn't make it any better. Um, but Roseanne has this to say, and others are just similar statements. But we must be careful with such cultural counsel. Men and women have been learning from the beginning of creation that a rejection of authority and disobedience to God's demands will lead to frustration and division. You can ask Adam and Eve how things turned out for them when they followed the advice, you just need to take it. So we must be careful with what cultural voices tell us to do. What we must understand is that true freedom and true power comes through submission comes through submitting to God and submitting to His plan. We live in a society with rampant gender confusion, so it is vital for you and I to speak clearly, compassionately, and courageously of God's design in creation and how it affects us today. So let us look this morning at Genesis. It's been said that all good theology starts in Genesis, and I uh, agree. So let's look this morning at Genesis chapter 1, Why don't we stand together as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to skip around a few different verses. Genesis 1 verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So it says here clearly that men and women are created in God's image. Then skip over to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 20. We looked at this verse last week. It says, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, to, while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then one more verse in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 20. We see... Even after the fall, more description of woman through Eve. Chapter 3, verse 20, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together.
Gracious Father, I thank you for this time together as we come together as the church family. Lord, we know that all things come from your hand. Lord, we know that you own all things. From the cattle on the hills, to our homes, to our families. Lord, we are in your hands and we thank you that you are sovereign over all of creation. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you will teach us to trust you as the sovereign creator and orchestrator and sustainer of all of life. So Lord, we know that you have given us life. And yet, even as you have given us life and breath and to move and to have our being, Lord, we have turned and rejected you. And as Ryan has said earlier, we have sinned. We have rebelled. We have fallen short of your glory. We have turned away to our own way. So, Father, forgive us where we sin. Forgive us where we rebel and fall short of your glory. Lord, I pray that you will teach us that we are not to stay in our sin, but we are to turn to you. You are gracious and patient, and Father, your your patience leads us to repentance. So, Lord, lead us to repent and to seek you, even as we have turned to our own ways through making a name for ourselves, redefining biblical manhood, redefining biblical womanhood, doing things on our own accord. Father, forgive us, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you will teach us to trust in you and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we thank you that you watch over us and you have given us all that we need for life and for godliness. So Lord, we turn to you right now and we trust in you. We thank you, Father, that there is one who has gone before us. There is one who is our perfect mediator and moderator and the one who is our redeemer and friend and his name is Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have one who is a substitute who stands in our place. And so, Father, we all are here this morning seeking to hear from your word, seeking to apply your word as a man or a woman, as a boy or a girl, wanting to honor you, our Heavenly Father. Father, I pray that you will teach us the truth. In a culture of much confusion regarding the roles of men and women, you have outlined for us what is true and what is right and what is for our good. So, Lord, we ask, Father, that you might teach us gently and patiently. And, Father, lead us in obedience. Help us to obey all of your commands. And, Father, I thank you for this church. I pray that you might add to our number. I pray that we might proclaim your wisdom amongst the community. Lord, I pray most specifically, I pray specifically that we will love one another. For, Father, you have first loved us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we've looked at at three different uh, sections, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we see clearly that man and woman are created in God's image. We didn't look at uh, uh, all of Genesis 1, all of Genesis 2, but not only are we created in God's image, we are created to flourish. We are created to thrive. And then look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a key chapter in understanding the roles of biblical men and women. It's a difficult chapter. In fact, I was sitting in Brother Morris's uh, Sunday school class uh, a while back, several weeks back, and I just happened to be sitting in when he was going through 1 Corinthians 11, did a marvelous job going through this chapter. But there is a lot that you can go through, you can see in this chapter of what God 
um, is teaching us about men and women, but there's even more uh, teaching those there in Corinth as Paul was instructing them. We're not going to get into all the details of head, head coverings this morning, which um, is the first half of the chapter, nor are we going to get into the Lord's Supper, which we often do on the first Sunday of the month. But I want us to see a few key verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul tells that those there in Corinth, the believers there, 1 Corinthians 11.3, he says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, that the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So it's encouraging to me to see that they too needed instruction. They too needed to know what is true and what is right. So we see that God has given an order. We see that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So there is an order, there is relationships that depend upon one another, and we see that even further down in the chapter. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11. It says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. So we see here in these few verses, in verse 3 and 11 and 12, there is an interdependence of man and woman, that they are related to one another, they are, related, they are created for one another, and so God is doing something special through his creation. Also, we see that woman was created after man. We saw this in Genesis 2, also in 1 Timothy 2. I think we have 1 Timothy there on the screen. 1 Timothy 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And so, we see clearly that a woman was created after man. Woman is given as a helper to the man. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8, it says, Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And so, again, woman is given as a helper to the man. We saw this last week. Also, we should note that women are to be valued as image bearers. We saw this in Genesis 1. But also as co-heirs of the grace of life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That is the way outlined in Scripture. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's a very powerful verse reminding us that both men and women are co-heirs of life and that men have a responsibility to care for them and to honor them, and if they do not do so, even their prayer life will be hindered. Well, we see here a lot of Paul's writings about the roles of men and women. Some have tried to uh, distance Paul's writings from Jesus' writings in an unfair and unhelpful way, but both of them are uh, both of their messages are the same. Jesus viewed women uh, viewed women with the same lens that Paul did, or rather, Paul viewed women through the same lens that Jesus did. Jesus valued women greatly. He ministered to them as they ministered to him. He spoke to them and taught them even in public, which was against the social norms at the time. He ministered to hurting women like Peter's mother-in-law, the bleeding woman in Matthew 9, the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had a demon in Mark 7. He ministered to many women at different times and different places. Through Jesus' ministry, it is clear that Jesus believed 
women had value and purpose. I think it's important as evangelicals that we stress that, especially in today's time and age, that women have value and purpose. They are to be loved with great dignity. Throughout the Bible, we see crucial ways God uses women from Rahab to Ruth to the women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. First ones on the scene. I report, I testimony, Jesus is alive. Women right there at the front. We see from the beginning of creation to our current situation that God has a design and embraces women. Here's a great and valuable quote from Matthew Henry. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Henry is right in the way that God has created man and woman is perfect, and it is for women to be loved and cared for. We must understand that Jesus' ministry included women, but it was also consistent with the original designs for men and women in their God-given roles. Jesus chose men for leadership through the apostles. Even after Jesus had ascended, after the resurrection, the disciples found themselves in a difficult situation following the betrayal of Judas. The apostles continued the teachings of Jesus by appointing a man to lead and continue the ministry of the apostles. So this begs the question, how should we view the roles of women in the church today? The three points this morning, you can write them down if you'd like. I'll give them to you right here. Women are to be valued. They are to speak. And they must speak in line with what Scripture teaches. Women are to be valued. They are to speak. And they must speak in line with what Scripture teaches. A few key passages related to the roles of women within the church. 1 Corinthians 11, we looked at a little bit this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, and 1 Timothy 3 are all foundational passages that I encourage you to read later as we think about the boundaries and freedom for women within the context of the local church. Each of these passages could be a sermon series in and of themselves. But I want to point out some observations as we think about women being valued, we must also see that they are valued as the husband carries out his role. Sometimes women uh, dislike the ways in which the Bible talks about women, partly not because of what God says, but because of what they have seen and what they have experienced. But God is not a cruel God, and he has aligned the roles perfectly. And we see, first off, that the husband is the head of his wife. The head of his wife, uh, I thought about writing a whole sermon for that one point, and maybe I will soon, but the head of his wife does not mean that he's the dictator, he's the controller, he's the manipulator, but he is the head, that is, he is the leader of his wife. 1 Corinthians eleven three says this, again, he says, the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband. And so you can debate and redefine that however you want, but we must see here clearly the head of a wife is her husband. This describes the different roles that God has given. Just like within the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son share the same essence and rank, yet in their relationship they have different roles. 
The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit submits to the Son. The Father never submits to the Son or the Spirit. So there are different roles within the Trinity. Likewise, there's different roles within the home. While the wife submits to the husband and recognizes him as her head, it does not diminish her role. In fact, it makes it bigger and greater as we see it outlined through Scripture. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way, the roles are not status symbols or value markers. They are simply different roles. Much more could be said about this, and we will probably elaborate on this in the weeks to come. But number two, this may be surprising to some of you, maybe not, but women can speak in church gatherings. This may sound controversial, but it's not meant to be. Sometimes I've struggled with the roles of men and women within the church because I don't know how it, it is to be handled on a practical basis, let alone a theological basis. Part of my own struggle has to do with 1 Corinthians. Um, I had a, a professor in seminary, my ethics and religious liberties, or my ethics professor, he said, don't do what I did. I was a pastor of a new church and started with 1 Corinthians because every passage is a difficult one. You don't get to escape any difficult passages. But 1 Corinthians is a difficult book, and I've struggled with two particular chapters, 1 Corinthians 11 and then 1 Corinthians 14. It sounds as if Paul may be giving two different messages. What do I mean? What I mean by this is 1 Corinthians 14 says this. It says women should keep silent in the churches. It says they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. That is a bold statement. That is why some churches even prohibit women from singing in church. I was thinking about it this morning as we were singing, and we just had men up here singing. I was like, well, that's not, that's not what we normally do. We have men and women up here singing. It just happened that way this morning. But some even prohibit women from singing in church because of 1 Corinthians 14. I know that is harsh, but at least we see where they have used Scripture as their support. But I think that they have used it wrongly. I believe women can sing and do more than sing in church gatherings. Why? Because of what we read just a few chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says there that women can pray and prophesy. So, Paul, which is it? Can they pray and prophesy or are they to be silent? Well, I think it can be helpful if we look at 1 Corinthians 14 a little closer. Again, we must interpret Scripture with Scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 14, if you look with me in verse 28, actually 29, verse 27, 28 has to do with uh, speaking in tongues and interpreting those tongues. And in verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged." and the spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Well, we are we have not been diving through 1 Corinthians, and I've not gone through this verse by verse, but verse 29 is a key verse in understanding what Paul is saying, because if we're looking at the first part of verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, 
then we then Paul is contradicting himself with what he said early in 1 Corinthians 11. But I think he's referring, as we look at the second half there of verse 29, we see here that he is telling the men alone to weigh or to discern the prophecy and for the women to remain silent in this situation. So the silence that Paul is calling for here is in the weighing and the determining and the discerning of the prophecy. This is why, I know this can get a little confusing and, and, and tricky, but this is why we have no trouble, or I have no trouble with what Paul says earlier in chapter 11 where he allows and encourages women to pray and to prophesy. Women should be encouraged to participate in wor- worship services so as long as their participation does not include authoritative teaching over men. So, I'm the first to admit that we at Haven Baptist have not allowed women to worship in appropriate ways at times. Not because we were trying to uh, diminish their roles, but because maybe I, in particular, was confused at times. Sometimes Baptist churches do what they do based upon what others are doing, or based upon what the culture is doing, or based upon what we have traditionally done. But all these reasons should be evaluated, but none of them are authoritative. Only the Bible is. So as of now, and this may produce more questions, and welcome to answer those um, after the service. So as of now, I want to affirm and encourage women to speak in our church services in ways that are consistent with what we find in the churches outlined in the New Testament. I'm not talking about women shouting out while I'm preaching or women teaching as pastors, but I do believe sharing the announcements, praying, and even giving testimonies are biblically defined roles. These are good roles and that they are honoring to God. Number three. Women can minister to others and should do so in biblically defined roles. Again, I keep using those words, biblically defined roles, because, again, God lines up for us what women can do, and there are roles that are limited to men, though. We see this in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, as it refers to 1 Timothy 2 and 3. In the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, it says, The scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. So, again, I want to remind us of the roles that God has given both men and women. To the women here today, let me encourage you by saying that you are valuable and that there are many valuable ministries that exist in this church and in the universal church worldwide. In fact, there are ministries that could be added to our church that would be good and God-glorifying, but we need women to step up and to serve so others may see the Spirit at work in our members. The Gospel tells us that both men and women, both Jews and Gentiles, are being saved from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the Spirit is at work in our church and around the world. And so I want to encourage the women here today for being a part of our church family, for serving our church family, and for praying for us. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for our church as we serve together. I'm going to pray now, and then I'm going to invite, just like we did last week, and we invited our men up last week and prayed for them. This week we're going to invite the women up here and pray for them. 
So let me pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for this time together. I pray that you might remind us that you have created both man and woman in your image. You have created us to honor you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that you will teach us how to live out our roles in the home, in the church, and in society. Father, I thank you for the men and the women of this church. Lord, I pray, Father, as questions arise in our hearts, as questions are answered, Lord, I pray that we will seek your word. I pray that we will seek to apply your word in our lives and in this church. And Father, I pray that we will honor Christ. We do not want to do anything that does not exalt Christ. So Lord, help us to do that even now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.